0: So Acts chapter 3, first 10 verses, I'll read it and then we'll just kind of work through it and see what happens. So one day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon and now now a crippled man from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter he asked them for money and Peter looked straight at him as did John and Peter said, look at us. The man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, they helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So our first sort of movement of the book of Acts is a picture of Peter and John going about daily life. They were headed back to the temple at the time of prayer, and there were several of them in the Jewish custom. And they were headed there at the one at three in the afternoon, and they were walking to go and pray in the temple, in the temple courts. And there was this man, crippled from birth, being brought by his friends to the gate called Beautiful, which is really just one of the gates that led into the outer court of the temple. Now we see this kind of thing happen a lot in Scripture, as someone that has a, a physical handicap, often brought by their friends to a place where they would lay, sometimes it's by the city gate, this happens to be by the gate to the temple, going into the outer courtyards to basically sit there, and as people passed by, they could then beg or ask for money from them, Right? And this guy in particular seems to be pretty savvy in the way he does it. I mean, if there's any better place to go and ask for money, it's standing outside church, right? I mean, look, you can stand in the corner all day long, but if you go stand outside a church and beg and people don't give, well, they're going to hell, right? I and mean, that's how that works. You've got to give if you're on your way to church. You feel bad if you don't. And so this guy knows that, and he's going to the temple, and he gets out front there, and he's begging for money from the people that are going into worship, right? Because, I mean, a lot of my religious experiences. Feeling like I, I need to engage in those things, especially to and from a Sunday, right ever, or the you know, that kind of movement. And so this guy's out there on and he's at the time of prayer, and there were several daily times of prayer, and so he probably went out there multiple times a day and he would just beg. Well, Peter and John were going about their daily kind of business, which was going to the temple and sharing the good news of Jesus. They would go there and preach, and as they were going on this particular day, they saw this guy being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. And they laid him down, and Peter and John stopped, and they looked right at this man. They literally gazed upon him. You've got hundreds and hundreds of people going in and out of this gate every day. Everybody's seen this guy. We know that. Peter and John stop. They look at him, and they ask him to give him their attention. Hey, over here, look at us. Right here. And the crippled guy who was most likely laying on some kind of blanket or on some kind of mat, right... He gives them their attention, and the text says, because he was expecting to get something from them. So normally, I don't look at anybody in the eye, because honestly, most people won't look at me in the eye. There was an association in those days that your handicap, your physical handicap, was somehow tied to your sinful life or your parents' sinful life. Most people believed you were being punished by God. You were unclean, and you surely didn't look at anyone in the eye, much less you didn't look at anyone going into the temple in the eye. So most likely the guy just laid there, head down with some kind of cup or some of his hand out and just waited for people to walk by and hopefully throw something in it. He was a throwaway, an afterthought, and an outcast. Peter and John stop and they say, hey you, look at us. He looks up at them expecting to get something. Okay, if I do this, they're going to throw me a few nickels, a few coins, a dollar bill or whatever it is. He looks at them and, and Peter and John say to this man, they say, listen, gold and silver, we don't have it. We don't have any of it. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Now, get up and walk. It says that they reached down, and they grabbed his right hand, and as he stood up, his ankle bones literally became strong, literally became strong, and he began walking and running and dancing and praising God. And then it says that he went with them into the temple courts, right, and began jumping around, going absolutely bonkers, practically freaking out. And everybody recognized him as the same guy that used to sit by that gate every time we came in here to pray, five times a day or so, and beg for money. And here he is, jumping around. And the text says that the people were amazed, right? They were amazed with wonder at what had happened to this guy. this is a remarkable story. And it's not an uncommon story, but it's a remarkable one because there's something incredible that's happening here. The gospel is now becoming fully alive. The church is fully charged. They're engaged in this highly relational living together. It has captured their heart. The gift of the Holy Spirit is upon them. And they are proclaiming the signs and wonders of God. And Peter and John were doing the exact thing that they did when they were with Jesus. And that way they would go to town, they would show up in the temple, and they would begin to talk to people. It's all they knew. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they are doing that exact same engagement that they always did. But something is different about these guys now. Something is completely and totally different. And the gospel changes them in a multitude of ways. And the gospel should change us in a multitude of ways. And I want you to see a few of them. The first way the gospel changes us and changes these two gentlemen is that they see the world differently. Right? All these people going into the temple courts to pray. All of them going to pay honor and reverence to God. And every single one of them walking by this crippled person. Maybe feeling a little obligated, throwing a couple of coins. Maybe ignoring them altogether. Maybe pretending they were doing something else. Completely ignoring, walking by. Peter and John stop. They see him. And they look straight at him. The world didn't look at this guy. He was a throwaway. Nobody paid attention to him. And if you did, you were doing that of obligation because the law said to take care of the poor. So you gave him a couple of coins. But no one stopped and looked at him. And they looked down at him because he was laying there, and they said, look at us. In other words, look into my eyes. You know what happens when you look someone in the eye? You show them value, you show them respect, right? It's what we try and teach our children. When someone's talking to you, you look them in the eye. You know the kind of value you give another human being when you gaze at them in the eye? And you know what you tell them when you don't? Think about it. Just think about your time on the corner when you leave church and you're turning out off class and on to Northwest Expressway and you see that person with the sign. Do you ever really look them in the eyes? Never. Most of us don't know what to do in that moment, but we sure don't give them eye contact because somehow we have to respond if we do that because it shows something different. It shows that I am connecting with you on an intimate level when you look them in the eye. So we look away, we fake phone calls, we do whatever it is we do, but we don't look at them, not in the eyes. Peter and John stop and they say, look at us. And that guy looks up and for that moment, they have this intimacy with him that says, you are valued, right? You are valued and adored. This is what Jesus did. They saw the world differently. They saw this person when the world walks by, but they also stopped and talked to him. They didn't just look at him, they shared with him. They said, listen, I'm going I'm to share with you what has changed me. I don't have silver or gold. We don't have anything. But what I do have, what matters more than all the silver and gold the world would ever know, is this. Jesus of Nazareth. I'm going to give it to you. I know what you're longing for and what you want is this monetary thing. But what I'm going to give you is worth more than all of that because it's what's changed me. And they stop long enough to share what has changed them with this man. Now this miraculous healing moment. And healing in scripture, physical healing, is never for the sake of physical healing. It is always for the glory and honor of God. Always. They heal this guy. God's glory. God's honor. And then they reach down with their right hand and they help him up. Listen, nobody looked at this guy. Much less would ever touch him. You know what would happen if you touched a crippled person, a handicapped person, an unclean person before you went into the temple? You would become unclean. You could not enter the presence of the temple into the gates after having touched someone who was unclean. You literally had to remove yourself by law outside the city gates for up to seven days before you could enter the gates again and go to the temple. These guys were walking straight to the temple. They reached down to this crippled beggar and they grabbed him by the hand. And they helped him up. Peter and John, they touched who the world wouldn't touch. Now this is what's remarkable to me about all this, okay? This is exactly how Jesus lived. Read scripture. Jesus saw the world differently. He spoke truth into people's lives. He didn't give them what they thought they needed. He spoke truth about the kingdom of God. And he touched people that the world wouldn't touch. This is exactly how, Jay, or how John and Peter are living The gospel has so changed their life that they are becoming more like Jesus. They couldn't help it. The gospel had so turned their lives upside down that they no longer could just walk by a crippled beggar. They couldn't do it. They had become so much like Christ that they saw this person for who he was. And like Jesus did, they responded with compassion and love. And they gave him what he deeply needed, which was truth. And they gave him value and they extended and put their hand where people wouldn't put their hand. How has the gospel changed you? I mean, honestly. How has it changed the way that you see the world? Still see it through your sort of selfish, and I I certainly do through my selfish colored glasses that see things in my perspective, in my way, how I need to see them and want to see them? Do we really tell people truth? Do we really want to share and talk about Jesus? Most of us have sort of bought into this idea that if we just live differently, if I just live good and right, and I misquote Francis of Assisi and say, I'm going to preach, and occasionally if I have to, I'm going to use words. And we think that if people just see our lives, they're going to see Jesus living in you, and they're going to say, oh my goodness, life is so different. You are amazing. Tell me about what's going on with you. Never happened to me. No one has ever said, Tripp, you are so, well, they say I'm awesome, but they never said, Tripp, you are awesome. Your life is so different, so incredible, so merciful, so kind. I've got to know what's going on with you. And I say, well, you know, it's just Jesus. The reality is I'm a sinful, broken disaster, right? And no one ever asks me why I'm so great. Eventually, I've got to talk about Jesus. At some point in time, we have to love people enough to tell them about the God that has changed us. And what Peter and John did was they said, look, what you want, I can't give you. Right? We have people in our life all the time asking us for things, not material things, but advice. Tell me what I should do. Tell me how I should do this. Should we try this? Should we try that? Look, I don't have anything that you need except this one thing, and that's this. Jesus has changed me, and that's all I can give you. Right? And then they touched people that the world wouldn't touch. When's the last time you engaged in being involved with someone that the world wouldn't be involved with, both physically and metaphorically? You know this became very vivid to me years and years ago it was early 2000s and had taken a team to Romania and we were doing work at a in a special needs Romanian orphanage this was kind of before Romania joined the EU and the European Union sort of changed the sort of definitions of orphanages and they moved to a foster system this was before all that and orphanages were everywhere um, people that had kids that couldn't afford them because the country was so poor would just leave them and if you had a special needs child, you couldn't afford that child at all, and so you especially abandoned that kid, and it was heartbreaking. But we spent time in this orphanage full of special needs kids, and I'm talking about severely specially needed kids that had special needs. And I remember walking into this room the first day there, and it was just this room packed with, as big as this room easily, with probably 40 or 50 cribs. These special needs kids, everything, every age from about six months all the way up to about eight just sitting in there rocking themselves back and forth. Each day they would take each of these kids out and they had two rooms that kind of were off this orphanage and they were all just filled with like gym mats. And they would just take these kids and they would set them in there. And they'd fill these rooms with them getting out and they'd change all. And it wasn't because these women that lived in this orphanage and not love these kids. There was only four of them and they had all these kids. And they would change all these sheets and the kids would just sort of honestly roll around on the floor. And then once in the morning, they would change each of them. Once in the afternoon, they would change them, and they would feed them some kind of broth with a piece of bread in it for lunch, and that was it, and they'd go back to the crib, and this was their existence. So we went into this orphanage, and I remember walking in this room filled with probably 25 special needs kids and a little quarter of this space, and we'd just sit there. And not a lot that we could do except play with them on some level, hold them. And I remember the kids were covered in lice, and they had stuff literally leaking out of every orifice on their body. Snot, stuff, and they were dirty. They only got bathed every two weeks. They were disgusting. And I—and it hurts my heart that that's what I can call them. But they were filthy, and they were bug-ridden, and they were disgusting. And I remember that first day thinking, I don't want to get that on my hands. Like, this snot and this stuff and these kids laying there. And I remember thinking... I don't have, they don't make enough hand sanitizer for me to feel better about myself right now. At night, we went back. We were kind of debriefing and talking and just d- deeply convicted about this situation. We started talking about this type of exchange that Peter and John and, and even Jesus had with people where he takes the, the deaf man aside and he puts his fingers in his ears. Remember that story where he takes his fingers and he puts them in the ears of the deaf man? And he says, listen, he basically says, I'm going to put my finger in where the world says is your um, mistake, your brokenness. Because remember, sin was tied to physical handicap. Basically saying, look, God loves you and I'll stick my finger right in there. Sort of changed our perspective completely. And I remember going back into the next day and just wiping snot away. And these kids rolling up into your lap and you're just covered in whatever and saying, I feel like this is where Jesus would be sitting. Not that we were doing it correctly, but that He doesn't walk past a place like this. And it doesn't bother him to touch where nobody else wants to touch. And there are places in the world like that. And you know what's even even kind of more real is that there are people in the world like that, not with those physical needs, but people that we don't want to engage with. People that the world is sort of, for whatever reason, whatever their attitude is, way that they treat people, the way they treat you, that we don't want to engage with. And you have people in your life just like that. The question that Peter and John are dealing with is that this is how Jesus lived, and it changed the way that they saw the world, right? But the gospel also changes our understanding of what we need. So the second part of that story is equally as fascinating. You've got this crippled gentleman laying on the ground, right? And they say, look at us, and expecting to get something from them, which is what this guy thought he needed. He thought, listen, this is my existence. What I think I need is a few dollars, a few nickels, a few things here and there. I'll be able to ink out an existence, buy food, and basically survive on some level. This is what my life has been relegated to, right? What he thought he needed, what his understanding of his need was, was for those monetary things to fix a temporary problem in his life, right? Which seems temporary now to us because we have this great 2020 vision of being able to see backwards in time. But what he thought he needed was stuff. And Peter and John say, look at us, right? And he looks up, giving them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Taking him by the right hand, instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. This guy thought he knew what he needed. His understanding was that if I can just sit here long enough, I can come up with some resources that will make today worthwhile, right? Hard to blame him. This is what that culture had basically said was going to be your existence. I don't blame him, but his understanding of what he needed was shallow and temporary, and it was grounded in what he knew. You and I live the exact same way. We think we know what we need. God, if you just give me this, if you just provide that, if I can just have a few more of this, you just remove this thing, then I will have it. And we ink out a temporary existence based on what we think we need. And that's what we ask God for. And we lay by the gate of the church praying that God would relieve our temporary need so that we might feel better about our life or might have a little bit of relief from whatever that struggle is, and we do the exact same thing. But the gospel changes our understanding of what we need. And when John and Peter reach down, they grab this guy by the right hand, and his ankle bones become strong. He instantly jumps up and begins running and walking around, praising God. Goes into the temple courts, the same place he was never allowed to go, as a broken, sinful, dirty person. He broke through the religious establishment, kicks open the door, and freaks out everybody. Why? Because his need, what he thought he needed, was just changed. What he realized is that God was real, and he had changed his very life, and no longer was he going to live in that existence of sitting by this gate begging for what was only temporary, but that his life was now a proclamation of the wonders and amazement of God. And so he kicks down the door, and he runs where he was never allowed to go, and he begins to shout and proclaim at the top of his lungs that God is amazing. What he thought he needed was not what he really needed. What you and I think we need has nothing to do with what we really need. Most of the time, we think we need these things to fix these temporary whatever, conveniences, comforts, reliefs. But what God is saying is that I have given you in Christ everything you will ever need. And you show up at church when it's convenient. And you sing just enough so the people around you don't think you're singing too loud. And if you feel moved, you do that half hand raise to show people you're kind of singing. And you really want to yell to God, but you don't know how because you don't know what other people are going to think. This guy cared little about that. And he kicks down the religious doors and he blows the place up saying, God, is this amazing? And God has done the same thing for us in Christ. He has set us free and given us new life. And we drag our lives around. How can this be? How can this really be what's filling our churches? If we've really encountered the gospel, it should absolutely change our understanding of what we need and flip everything upside down. Instead, most of us still sit outside that gate. Saying, God, I know you've changed me, but I'm really, really comfortable here. This is all I know. So I'm going to hold my hand out and beg for what I don't really need third thing that the gospel changes so it changes the way we see the world it changes our understanding of what we need but the third thing is kind of remarkable the gospel alive in us changes the people around us listen to this verse 10 they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called beautiful and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him so this man's changed, redeemed life, this breaking through the establishment, this kicking down the doors of the temple gate, if you will, running around praising God was beginning to change the people around him. They were looking at him and going, wait a minute, wait a minute, you are that exact same guy that I've walked by five times a day for two and a half, three, four, five years. How in the world can you be running around and jumping and praising God? And they were filled with wonder and amazement. This man's changed life became a contagious testimony to God's goodness and God's freedom and the gospel. The single greatest evangelistic tool the church has is not in a track, right? It's not in an evangel cube or whatever. It's in the proclaimed, life-changing gospel. It's your life different. When people look at you and go, wait a minute, I knew you in college. I used to do this, used to be that, used to be this person. The single greatest evangelistic tool is your redeemed, changed life because the gospel changes everything. Your witness is your redeemed nature. It's your redeemed life. It means that you can't contain your life to what happens from 1030 to noon on a Sunday morning. It should bleed through and pour through everything that you have. Turn everything upside down and wreak havoc on the world around you. Why? Because everything gets messed up. The way that you see your money, the way that you see your home, the way that you see your children, the way that you see your job, the way that you see yourself, your mission, your call, your life, everything is in jeopardy when the gospel changes your heart. Period. And yet our churches are filled with people that walk in and sit and sing and walk out. Do you think this guy is ever going back to begging? Do you think he's going to walk out there and go, you know what, now that I can walk, now that I've been set free, now that I can run and jump, I'm going to go ahead and sit down and enjoy that existence on that mat ever again? I guarantee you, he spent the rest of his life walking and running and jumping and screaming and skipping and all the things he could never do. You and I have been set free. Spiritually, we have been set free from sin and death. We have been given new life. And yet we don't run and jump and skip and yell. Instead, we return to the same things that we're comfortable with. We beg outside the gate for what we don't really need. God has torn you loose of the bondage of sin. It should absolutely wreck your life. The gospel changes the way that we see the world. The gospel literally changes our understanding of what we need. And the gospel alive in you changes the people around you. God uses it. So as I was thinking about how to close this, my idea was this, is that I wanted to give you a picture of what that gospel really is. And so I thought we'd just do it a different way, and so I'm going to show this little video, it's tiny, but it captures every essence of what I'm talking about and should move us to absolute life change.